Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. Um, I want to begin by sharing something that's been on my heart uh, this week, and it relates to how we invest in our relationship with God. Yvonne and I were apart for three weeks as she was visiting her family overseas, and it was a very long time. I didn't think when she booked the trip three weeks would be that long, but it was very long. And I'm very thankful for technology. We were able to to Skype and FaceTime and text, um, but it was very frustrating. Every time we Skyped, they could hear us, but we could not hear them at all. So we could see them, but could not hear them. And we were trying to talk about some significant stuff, so it was very difficult. Um, But it just reminded me how important two-way communication is in any relationship. If the communication is only going one way, that relationship is going to struggle to grow. And here at our church, we want everybody to be growing in their personal relationship with God. And your relationship with God requires two-way communication. And the two ways that are, are very primary how we build a relationship with God are Scripture and prayer. And this is very simply put, but through Scripture, God speaks to us, and through prayer, we speak to God. This morning, I just want to remind you how important it is for you to be engaging the Bible in order to build your relationship with God. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are in your faith, you will never outgrow your need for Scripture. And maybe you're in a season where you've really fallen off the wagon when it comes to reading the Bible, or maybe it's something you have never done in your life. And this morning, I just want to invite you to take a next step and to make a commitment to do so. And the book that I'd like to recommend that you start with is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms in the Old Testament. The Psalms show the ups and downs of life with God. From passionate, heartfelt praise to dealing with suffering and sorrow. I love how real the book of Psalms are. It's probably my most favorite book in all of the Bible. And surprisingly, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon from the book of Psalms. And that's going to change today. Because <laughs> this morning, I want to share from Psalm 57. I read it a few weeks ago, and God just really hit me with some stuff through the Psalms. So I'm really excited this morning uh, to open up God's Word. If you have a Bible, or if you use your phone to read the Bible, why don't you pull up Psalm 57. Let me just read it for us. This is David, Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. 
I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among man-eating beasts, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This morning, from this passage, I want to share three encouragements for us. Three no matter what, which is the title of the message as we walk through this text together. And the first one is, no matter what your pains or challenges, you can find refuge in God through lament. No matter what your suffering is, you can find refuge in God through lament. The most likely backdrop of this psalm is 1 Samuel 22. Uh, David is fleeing Saul, who's the king of Israel, and King Saul is intent on killing David. Now David is hiding out in a cave. In verse 1, David refers to the situation he he is in as a disaster. David is in a mess, and there's great uncertainty on how this will all turn out. I want to begin by looking at verse 4. David cries out, I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among man-eating beasts, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to come face to face with a lion. And the reality is, David probably knew what that was like. As a shepherd boy tending sheep, he would have to fend off wild animals. But this is most likely a metaphor. Throughout the Psalms, David refers to his enemies as lions. And the point here is that David is feeling threatened. He is feeling fear. Not scared of the dark kind of fear, but I might die here in this cave kind of fear. Verse 6, he says, they spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. That phrase, I was bowed down in distress, suggests that David is carrying a heavy load. He's emotionally overwhelmed and burdened, and even possibly suffering from 
depression. The ESV says, my soul was bowed down. There's a weight of oppression on his heart and his soul. He's fleeing for his physical life. He's emotionally distressed and overwhelmed. David is in trouble right now. This is what I mentioned at the beginning. I love that the Bible is real. I love that the Bible doesn't pull any punches like this and shows the reality of life. Life is hard. Life with God is still hard. There are physical challenges we face. There are emotionally weighty circumstances. There's relationships that are full of tension and stress. This life is not easy. And here's the thing. When we experience pain or struggle, we desperately want to be soothed or we want to escape or we want to regain control. And I think one of the great challenges we face in 21st century America is there is a buffet. There is a smorgasbord of options to soothe, escape, or help us regain control. David's in a cave 3,000 years ago. He doesn't have an iPhone. He doesn't have TV. He doesn't have a bowl of ice cream. He doesn't have a mall to go to to soothe himself in his pain. How often do we run to these things to escape the pain? I want to just offer you a couple questions to, to reflect on this week. Where do you go to when you are in pain? Where do you go to to find relief, escape, comfort, or control? I think it's something we need to seriously think about and be honest. Where do we turn to? David is all alone to face the disaster he is in. He either goes inward or he goes upward. And even though David is hiding in a cave, the striking thing is he does not hide from God. David cries out to God in his desperation. David is honest about his pain, his suffering, and his challenges before God. And what David does is he laments before God. And I realize lament is not a word we use often in our vocabulary. But there are 150 psalms, and more than half of them are laments. Most of them were written by David. And I want, I want to share a quote that I think will help describe what a lament is. The lament pays attention to reality that life can be hard, difficult, and sometimes even brutal. The lament takes notice of the apparent absence of God. The lament notices when circumstances seem to say that God is not good. The lament cries out to God 
for comfort and care. Simply put, to lament means to be honest with God in the difficulty of life and to cry out to Him, to turn to Him for care and comfort. We don't have to pretend everything is okay. God already knows. And God is big enough to handle the rawness of our emotions before him. And this is what David is doing in this psalm. He's being honest with God in his distress. And he's calling upon God to help him. Let's go back to verse 1 and 2. And hear David's cry to God. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. David is desperately pleading for God to be gracious to him. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. David recognizes he has nowhere else to turn but to God as his defender, his refuge, and the one who will save and deliver him. And in verse 2, he acknowledges that God is the Most High, that all authority and power have been given to you, God. My hope alone rests in in you, no one else. Like David, for us today, no matter what the pains or challenges you are going through, you can find refuge in God. The first step is just acknowledge and be honest with God with where you're at and come to Him desperate and longing for His help and care. And what happens as David laments, he begins to experience God in the midst of his mess. So the second no matter what I want to share with us this morning is, no matter what you are going through, you can count on God's steadfast love and God's faithfulness. No matter what you are going through right now, you can count on God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. And this comes right from verse 3. It says, God sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. God shows up and saves and protects David. But God doesn't teleport David out of the cave. God doesn't smite Saul in his army. David's circumstantial situation does not change in this moment. But God sends forth his love and his faithfulness to meet David where he's at. God's love and his faithfulness. I think too often we are settling for relief or comfort or escape And God is waiting to meet us with his love and his faithfulness. 
If you take up my challenge and read through the book of Psalms, you'll, you'll find that these two words, love and faithfulness, are often paired together. I want to share a few verses that kind of highlight this. Psalm 85, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. In Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And the Hebrew word here for love in Psalm 57 is hesed. And hesed refers to God's covenantal love. That God is true to the covenant he has made with his people. And out of that covenant, God will dispense his love, his grace, and his goodness constantly on his people. And God's faithfulness means that God is true to his character. He is utterly reliable. His fidelity has no compromise. You can count on God. God is basically telling David, David, no matter what, you have my covenantal, steadfast, unfailing, unchanging love. David, I will be faithful. You can count on me no matter what. And our God does not change. So the same for us, the same is true for us today. To us, his people, God says, no matter what, you have my covenantal, steadfast, unfailing, unchanging, unwavering love. No matter what, I will be faithful. You can count on me all the time. This is seriously great news for us. No matter what you're going through right now, God's steadfast love is for you. God is faithful to you all the time. There have been so many times in our family story that we've experienced God's love and his faithfulness. Uh, But one, one memory came to the surface this week and and many of you probably wouldn't know this story. It was before Yvonne and I came to Harvest. Uh, when Yvonne was pregnant with our firstborn, Joshua, she was still teaching first grade. And one day during the course of the pregnancy, she was at school. She was experiencing some weird discomfort. I don't know how to describe it. Cramping. I felt weird using that word, but you told me to use that word. And she just wasn't sure, is this normal or is this... Unnormal. It's her first pregnancy. And she decided to go to her doctor that day. And the doctor sent her to the ER right away. Uh, She was 26 weeks along with Joshua, and she was in preterm labor. And I'll never forget some of those moments. Uh, She was in the hospital for probably three or four days. When the specialist would come into the room and would begin to explain the gravity of the situation. Look, if your son is born today, here's what's going to happen. First, they were going to helicopter her to Lutheran General. 
They started pumping steroids into Yvonne's body to build up Joshua's lungs. It was a very serious situation. Our son's life was hanging in the balance. But I'll tell you what, I think Yvonne would attest to this too. There was an indescribable peace that we experienced those days that was unexplainable apart from God. And there are a lot of people praying for us. But as I reflect back on those moments, I believe we experienced the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. In the midst of severe crisis, God's presence was so rich. And he showed up with his love and faithfulness to us. Unfortunately, Joshua made it to 39 weeks before he was born. But even when things were hanging in the balance, God's peace was still there for us. When you experience the love and faithfulness of God, you gain security, peace, and confidence. This is what happened for Yvonne and myself, and I believe this is what happened for David God's love and faithfulness gives you the strength to face the storms of life. And as we move on to verse 5, we begin to see the work that God is doing in David. The experience of God's love and faithfulness is leading him outside himself to begin to look up to God. Verse 5, it says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And I'll be honest, as I, as I read this, this almost seems like a trite, religious, like, yeah, I should say this kind of statement. But in the next few verses, we're going to see the genuineness and sincerity of this for David which leads us to the final no matter what from Psalm 57. No matter what the circumstances, praising God is possible. Praising God is possible no matter where you're at today. Beginning in verse 7, there is a stunning shift in this psalm. Again, David is still in trouble. There doesn't seem to be any change to his external circumstances. But God is moving in him. Now David calls upon his heart and his soul. David takes a a posture of command in his spiritual life. He's not playing the role of victim. He doesn't let the circumstances overcome him and win the day for his heart. He has experienced God's love and faithfulness, and that begins to change his perspective. Verse 7, My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Similar to how David pleaded twice for God's mercy in verse 1, He now stands firm, repeated twice, with where the posture of his heart is at. 
I love this verse. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I do not believe this is just David's resolve here, or the power of the human spirit at work. I believe his experience of God's presence has allowed him to see God in the midst of his crisis. And in his humility and desperation, God has shown up to empower him and allow him to take command of his heart. And so now David turns his focus, his gaze upon God. And he is determined to sing to God. Verse 8, Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. David is commanding his heart, his soul, to be awakened through God's power. It's like the alarm clock is going off in his soul. And he's saying to himself, soul, it's time to get up. And it's possibly very late at night. And David says, I will awaken the dawn. He's committing himself to praise God as the morning sun rises. There's a spirit-led resolve in David. Verse 9, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. Again, David is all alone in a cave. And his thoughts begin to turn to the world. That among the nations, among all peoples, that God would be lifted up in praise. David's experience of the awe and worth of God unleashes a passion in him for God to be lifted up among every single person in the world. Verse 10, For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. You catch those two words? Love and faithfulness. The pillars where David finds his strength and confidence, God's love and faithfulness, have now become the focus of his praise. God, I praise you for your steadfast, unfailing love. God, I praise you because you are faithful and trustworthy. And verse 11, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the same refrain as verse 5. It's a crescendo verse highlighting the work that God is doing in David that yields a desire for God to be glorified everywhere. David's like, God deserves more than just my praise. He deserves the praise in the heavens and on the earth over every inch of soil and water, over all the cosmos of the universe, he is worthy of praise. Still down and out, hiding in a cave, life hanging in the balance, David has been unleashed by the God of love and faithfulness to praise. David finds it is possible to praise God despite his grave circumstances. 
Let's be honest. I think too often our praise is circumstantial. If life is good right now, yeah, I can get up for praising God. But this text is showing us in the depths of sorrow and lament, you can still praise God. I I do wonder for us if many of us get kind of stuck in our bubble of pain. We get trapped in our circumstances. And I wonder if praising God might be the very thing to pop the bubble to release you from your stuckness and invite you out of the chains of your circumstances so your soul can be awakened. I find praise, the practice of acknowledging and recognizing who God is, to be one of the most pure spiritual practices because it's completely focused on God. And I think there's a difference between praise and thanksgiving. Even when we practice thanksgiving with God, a lot of times it's because it makes our life better. God, thank you for our home because it makes my life better. God, thank you for this food because it makes my life better. I'm not telling you not to give thanks to God. Please keep giving thanks to God. But there's a difference between that and, God, I praise you, because you are a God of mercy. God I, God, I praise you because you do not change. God, I praise you because you are God who is faithful. There is a purity of focus on God through praise. And I want to ask you, what is the practice of praising God like in your life right now? How do you engage Sunday mornings When we sing. And what does the practice of praise look like for you the rest of the week? If we had a talent competition for the least musically inclined person here today, I'm pretty confident I would be a front runner. I have no musical ability whatsoever. My wife is nodding her head. I'm not even looking at her, but I know she's nodding her head. The guys in our CG would give an amen right now. Yet personally for me, I can't tell you how important worship music is for my relationship with God. There's something that God does in me when I praise him through music. It's so life-giving. It's soul-satisfying. So one of the activities that I need to practice more is pulling out my guitar at home, not in front of other people, I know a few chords, and just playing songs of praise before God. It's one of the most helpful spiritual practices I do to just cultivate my heart for God. And I know where some of you are at right now. Some of you might be dismissing all of this. That's not my per- personality or I can't get into music. It's not my thing. And honestly, I don't know how hard to push with that. I'll let the Spirit of God push you if he needs to push you. Because that might just be a very lame excuse, or it could be that's how God has wired you. I don't know. But if it's not music, 
Where else do you experience beauty and awe before God that leads you to praise Him? Is it going outside? I mean, now's the time in Chicago, spring. Get outside. If that fuels your heart for God and leads you to praise Him, is it art or cooking or gardening or using your hands? I don't know what it is, but what, is, what are those activities that you do that leads you to a sense of awe before God, just to praise Him? We can't neglect the practice of praise in our spiritual lives and our relationship with God. Regardless of our circumstances, God wants to unleash us to be a people who praise Him, whose souls are awakened and we're passionate about lifting God up. I really want to challenge you this week to think about what is the practice of praise look like in my life? When do I take time to lift up and recognize the greatness of God and just acknowledge Him? As I close, I want to share a story that exemplifies that praise is possible no matter what. No matter what tragedy you're going through right now or you'll face in the days and years ahead. The story of a man named Horatio Spafford. He lived in the 19th century. He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer. He had a beautiful family, a beautiful home, married with five children. He was also a very devout Christian. He was very good friends with D.L. Moody. At the height of his personal success, when everything was going so well, they suffered the loss of his young son, who passed away. And shortly after that, the great Chicago fire hit and destroyed pretty much all his real estate investments. His family was down and out. Grief beyond imagine. And he wanted to do something nice for his family. He sent them on a boat to go on a vacation, just get away from all the heartache and the difficulty. And he was helping D.L. Moody out with an evangelistic campaign. He was serving God as he sent his family away on a boat. A few days later, he received word that the boat was in a terrible accident. All four of his daughters drowned in that accident. He lost all his children. His wife survived. And this man of incredible grief and sorrow lost all five of his kids. He boards a boat, so he gets on a boat himself to meet his wife in England. You imagine what that boat ride was like for this man as he's on the very seas that took away four of his children. It was on this boat that he penned the words that many of us are very familiar with. It's been sung by believers all around the world. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. 
Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Such incredible pain that would have devastated and destroyed the faith of so many. But here's a man who learns lament. He learned to cry out to God. And with a steadfast heart for God, he was able to praise God in the depths of his sorrow and his pain. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, do you know it is well with your soul, no matter what? No matter what storms this life brings, no matter what happens today or in the future, the love and faithfulness of God is with you and for you. Because we have a God of unbelievable grace and compassion and who is completely trustworthy all the time, no matter what, you can praise God right now, today, in the future. You can learn the practice of praise and lifting him up no matter what you're going through. As we go to prayer and just to respond personally to the word this morning. I want to just invite and encourage you to be honest with God right now with where you're at. Do you need to lament? Do you need to talk with God about how brutal life is right now? And just acknowledge before him the sorrow and the pain and just cry out, And find God to be your refuge, your defender. Do you need to ask God? Say, God, show me your love and faithfulness again. I need to see your love and faithfulness again. Would you show me? Do you need to take command of your heart? And not let let the circumstances you're going through right now swallow you up that you wouldn't be a victim? Do you need your soul to be awakened by God? Ask Him to awaken your soul if you feel like your heart is dead to Him right now. Or you just need to sit for a few moments and just acknowledge Him. Call attention to Him. Remind him how great he is through your words and your prayers. Wherever you're at, I just invite you, just come before him. He's waiting to meet you where you're at and just be honest with him. So we'll take a few minutes to just personally pray and the praise team will lead us out as we close the service.
Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.